Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Susanna Short, and she is a policy advocate um, working with the New Jersey Cannabis Industry Association. Uh, She's in charge of strategic development, very involved in the industry, very involved in policy, both locally, nationally, internationally. I'm excited for this. I think there's some really interesting things uh, and exciting things going on in New Jersey and New York and the Northeast. So I think we're going to have a really good, interesting conversation with that. Susanna, welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Bruce. I just had this, I don't know, some moment where I'm like, what the heck? I'm on a cannabis podcast? Who am I? (laughs) I really never expected to be here in this place, but it is a place where I really authentically reside at this point. And so I'm grateful to have the opportunity to connect with you and with your broader audience. Yeah, well, it's a pleasure to have you on. So why don't we start with that in in terms of figuring out uh, or understanding how you got into the cannabis space. So what was what was the background? What uh, transpired to kind of get you into this uh, exciting domain of uh, cannabis legislation and, and policy development? What was the background? Give us a give us the story. 
Sure. It's such a great way to learn about people, to ask them why cannabis, uh, because you you see how for so many people, including myself, it's the intersection of professional and personal experiences that they've had to date that come here in this place, right? So, so what are my intersecting points? So I've had regulated industry experience for the past decade. I've operated at an executive level in insurance agencies, super glamorous, really exciting work. <laughs> um, but in, in that context, you know, I've, I've been working in a compliant manner and and complying with state agencies, right? Insurance is regulated by state just as cannabis is. I've worked with life insurance clients and talked to them about their health and wellness and their prescription drugs and interactions and these sorts of things without giving medical diagnoses or imparting Mm -hmm. medical advice, also applicable to the cannabis space. And there's HIPAA guidelines and FINRA rules that, you know, that oversee all of this. So I'm definitely in, you know, I have working knowledge of highly regulated industry. Um, But my segue into insurance was was not expected. I it is a family insurance agency. My, mm-hmm. my husband and I have been running that agency for the past decade, um, and we've we've really expanded it and have have done quite well with it. And it is a very you know I just kind of bashed insurance, but it is actually <laughs> it is actually a very it's given you a lot of money and success. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very valuable service, yeah. and um, and you know customer service is at the root of it. We have the highest retention in the state of New Jersey for the past eight years, so Good we're happy you. about that. Yeah. Uh, but I had been. Before that, I had run a successful SAT prep and college admissions advising business yeah. in, in New Jersey and really do see myself as an educator. And, and that background in education is another intersecting point You know, here in cannabis. There's such a need for education, education of policymakers, education of the general public, education of healthcare providers, patients, caregivers. So I, I bring that now you know, to the cannabis industry. Uh, my first job out of college was working as a community organizer in East New York um, in in Brooklyn. Yeah. And I worked with the East Brooklyn Congregations, which is part of the Industrial Areas Foundation. And I worked on minority policing, affordable housing, uh, ESL parent advocacy in the schools, and also the location of a methadone clinic in the neighborhood, which again, you know, yeah. has some applicability now as you know, I work with cannabis companies who are locating in municipalities and trying to, you know, garner community support and make a case for, you know, how they can be good corporate citizens. Yeah. So that the community organizing model is one that I think I have taken really throughout my professional career. And in that model, you don't go into a neighborhood or into a community and and change things. Rather, you identify people who already are leaders in the community or have a network and you make sure that they have the, you help them develop the skills that they might need and that they have the resources that they need to be agents of change themselves. Sure. And so that's really my executive leadership style, you know, as, yeah. I've, as I've gone forward and it's pretty collaborative. And um, so as I, so a couple of years ago, somebody approached my husband and me with, with a potential investment opportunity mm-hmm. in cannabis. And we have been looking to diversify. Just, you know, we have all the eggs in the insurance basket and we've been thinking about some other options. So I started, you know, doing my due diligence from an investor's perspective. And as I was researching the policies and looking at the programs, I was saying, oh my goodness, wait a second. I, I, this is actually, like I said, that intersection, yeah. right, of, of racial and social justice, which has been authentically important to me my whole life, mm-hmm. of education, of health and wellness, of regulated industry experience, of entrepreneurialism. Sign me up, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I started to call some of the advocates in the state who were working for patient rights, essentially, and talked to them about what do they want to see change in the industry. I read the laws. Mm-hmm. I read the regulations, you know, brushed up on my understanding of how does <laughs> A bill get passed. Yeah, right? What's the difference yeah. between a work? rule and a reg? <laughs> right, and these sorts of things. Uh, and and started to network, right, and volunteer my time essentially in helping to normalize, destigmatize, and advocate for a few things. And so now, you know, I, I do a few things. 
But the crux of it is is my volunteer work with the New Jersey Cannabis Industry Association. And I don't know if you want to ask me a question about yeah, that. Yeah, well, I so let's let's segue into that a little bit. So, and I know there's there's lots of different associations and different kind of policy groups, both nationally, uh, you know, at local levels. Talk to us about what this group is specifically kind of charged or missioned with doing, and how it kind of fits into the ecosystem here in the in the New Jersey area. Great, great. Yeah. So I am not necessarily. I have not always had necessarily a primacy of focus on the NJCIA, the New Jersey Cannabis Industry Association. I have worked with other trade associations, other advocacy groups, uh-huh. and there are sort of umbrella organizations, right, both at the national level and then even locally. Uh-huh. So I do consider myself to be a supporter and an advocate alongside many of the grassroots yeah. efforts in the state. And it's very important to me. I mean, when we, when we get the, this bill got passed, when we signed the go, I didn't sign the bill. Yeah. <laughs> That's maybe, maybe someday. Huh? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> the next podcast. When, when, when the governor signed the bill on July 2nd, you know, Mike Honig, the father of Jake Honig, for whom the bill is named after, you know, is up there. And, and we've stood shoulder to shoulder advocating for for this important patient reform. You know, and I just looked in the audience and I see see regulators and legislators and public stakeholders, private stakeholders who have really worked, uh, you know, to get this legislation through. And it, it really is a team effort. So with the NJCIA, though, which does definitely have some primacy at this point for me, the mission essentially is to create the best context for legal access to cannabis in the state of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So that involves having some privacy. Why am I using the word privacy so much? Um, <laughs> having some, some focus on you know, patient needs really at the center of that. And then beyond that, thinking about the, the various stakeholders uh, in the medical community and social justice community, yeah. in the business community, and you know, how can we position these various industries and stakeholders to provide the best context for legal access to yeah, cannabis? Perfect. So, and let's talk a little bit about kind of the, this this regional context because I'm, you know, the listeners here are probably going to be uh, certainly national, if not international. So, mm-hmm. you know, the New York, New Jersey, kind of Northeast has been an interesting market or an interesting kind of geography for the cannabis industry in that we're not currently not adult use legal in these states. There's been some medical use laws passed, but they have they have been sort of shifting or developing over time. Help give us some context for folks listening, you know, in terms of what's the Northeast, uh, New Jersey, New York, and specifically, how has this market been developing and what are the big factors that have been playing out over the last couple of years? Sure, that's a great question. And it is interesting, you know, people come to the East Coast having had experience in markets like California yeah. or Colorado, and we sort of laugh a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, a little it's bit. Great. I love California, you know, I love yeah. Colorado, but the way that the market is shaping up here is quite different. Yeah. And they're in a number of ways. And so one of the biggest things we want to just focus on New Jersey specifically, mm-hmm. there's going to be, there already are such limited number of licenses, right, in the industry, limited number of permits, even in the medical program. Mm-hmm. And that will continue as the medical program expands and then as the adult use legalization is, you know, formalized. So that, that does a number of things. I mean, first of all, it makes those licenses quite valuable, yeah. right? Yeah. And so from an industry perspective, you can think about if people are, if businesses are trying to decide where are they going to make their moves, you know, that, that certainly factors in. And so we, we really are attracting, you know, the best and most sophisticated operators at this point. You know, mm-hmm. our program started out, it was signed into law, the medical program was signed into law by Governor Corzine on his last day in office. And then the regulations were developed under Governor Christie, who was really not friendly to the program. He lives right around the corner from me, so I have to be really quiet <laughs> when I say these things. Yeah, exactly. But um, he was not friendly to the program. And so 
it was not designed in a robust way to really serve patient yeah. needs and 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 it was stalled. So with Governor Murphy coming on with his executive order six, now with the, I have to say the New Jersey Department of Health, the Division of Medicinal Marijuana, which is under the direction of Jeff Brown, who's the assistant commissioner, is such a transparent government agency. Yeah. And they are really good people who are working on that, who have, it's so patient centric. And I'm really, really so encouraged by by the efforts of that agency. Yeah. Now, we, one of the things that is happening here on the local level as well, so I think I still am answering this question, <laughs> is ahead. that the, the direction of the cannabis regulation is shifting out of the Department of Health and will be under the newly formed government agency called the Cannabis Regulatory Commission. So that Got was it. called for in this July 2nd bill. So that's something that we're seeing developing here. Now, as we look at some of the neighboring states, there are some similarities just in the types of regulations that exist, uh, you know, among the East Coast states mm-hmm. and the demographics, these sorts of things, the, the types of industry operators who are attracted to these markets. But what is interesting to me is, you know, as as consumers or as patients or as business owners, mm-hmm. we do look to the neighboring states and we see this race, right? We're like, there's a race. Yeah, Who's going to exactly. do it first? Is it New York? Is it New Jersey? Yeah. And I don't see the legislators, the policymakers caring yeah. about that. Yeah. That's not their motivation. There is enough rivalry within the walls of the Garden State <laughs> to, <laughs> to take care of that, yeah. To, to, to you know, to oh, direct funny. those efforts. So, um, so I, you know, definitely that is on our minds, you know, who's going to do it first? And it is New Jersey. New Jersey will do it first. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will legalize before New York does. But that's not a motivating factor for, you know, for our politicians. So, you know, New York just passed a, a decriminalization law, you know, in mm-hmm. August. And I'm self-correcting here for the, the future air date, but I know yeah. you're going to Yeah, no, just for our audience, we're we're recording this the end of August. This is going to air probably the end of September. So uh, there may be a slight delta in what we talk about and what's actually live when you're listening to this. But uh, yeah, no, I think and and that's the challenge with a lot of this stuff. It's it changes so quickly, um, both in terms of you know, the time it takes to actually implement implement the the past legislation and actually put it into practice and develop the regulations, but also changes. I mean, you know, thing, things go sideways, things end up getting um, changed or, or adjusted as they go into implementation. So yeah, and I, I think that's, it's interesting when you, you talked about the, the rivalry is in the New York, New Jersey. I mean, the media certainly has played up this whole, mm-hmm. or at least you know, six months ago in our area here was playing up this whole New York, New Jersey race, who was going to legalize first. And there was there was quite a bit of play, but it sounds like at an actual legislative level, that's not that's not really dynamic, the dynamic that plays out in terms of the policymaking, that it's really more of uh, that the actual policymakers in the state themselves have enough things to grapple with that they're not really focused on on trying to beat New York or beat New Jersey in, in terms of getting the policies in place. Right. And, it, you know, I guess really they, that shouldn't be a motivating factor is what is somebody else doing, but only to the extent to which it affects our market, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, or affects, and, and, affects the, the residents of this state. So it it is a consideration. Yeah. I'm in Fort Lee, New Jersey, and and, and there's, you know, the uh, George Washington <laughs> Bridge here becomes the uh, the traffic center for the transport of cannabis, depending on which way you, who legalizes first. Um, mm-hmm, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, there are some interesting thoughts. So in the bill that was just passed on July 2nd in New Jersey, uh-huh. Jake Honig's law, there is now the allowance for reciprocity in our medical program. So you can come from another state to yeah. our state and show your medical card yeah. and purchase cannabis from our dispensaries, yeah. medical dispensaries. Like a driver's here. license. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you and, can drive and, in Jersey with a New York license. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So they are also working on some reciprocity agreements that the bill calls for that as well. Some more official 
Uh-huh. you know, collaborations among the states. But we will see, I think, some regionalization of cannabis, not to the extent where, you know, we're seeing product cross state lines legally. Yeah. Uh, federal, yeah. something would have to happen on the federal level for that to happen. Yeah. But it, as far as standardizing some of the regulations uh, or some of the program elements, there will be some regionalization. There is some to some degree. And, you know, I think that the crux of this, really, this this potential rivalry or looking to other states, it really hammers home the point that there is policy and then there's politics, Right. Okay. Yeah. And and that's a distinction which I've become keenly aware now that I'm in this. I mean, I can look at policy and there can be great, great policy. It's so robust. And then politics just screws it all up. (laughs) So Um, give us an example or. uh, Well, let's look at what happened with this bill on July 2nd. Right. So or or legalization, legalization not happening in March. So there are, you know, rivalries, political rivalries at play. And when you're trying to get votes for things, you know, if you have an ally, a political ally, it may be easier to to get a vote for something. And people sometimes are are guided by that. Right. Yeah. And and we can see in the I mean, we can read all this stuff in the media, too, about the, the feuds that are that are going on between the front office, governor's office and the Senate mm-hmm. president and, you know, just leadership in general and some of the lobbyists in the state. All this. So yeah. so New Jersey is highly politicized. It's highly politicized mm-hmm. and really have to be sensitive to that. So I do see some casualties of politics in the bill that just came out on July 2nd. Now, for example, the application process that we just went through or Mm -hmm. that we went through last month when you're listening to this, um, that ended at the end of August for new permits in the medical program, it was a bifurcated process, arguably a trifurcated process. Some of this went through the Department of Health and then there's the establishment of the Cannabis Regulatory Commission, which Mm -hmm. then will do another call for applications. There would have been good reason to, to combine those efforts and not to split them out and put the burden on the municipalities and on these potential operators and on the patients to wait longer, you know, for these additional operators. But there was a political compromise that was struck. And the result was that we have this bifurcated application process. And I looked at it and I said, oh, my gosh, this is just so purely a political compromise, Mm -hmm. you know, moaned and groaned. And the politicians say, isn't it great? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, there's some of that. And, you know, there's certainly a a done done is better than perfect in some respects. So, I I mean, I think we I'm glad we have something. But yes. And I think that do you see this as you know, to the extent that you've seen this kind of play out in different states and, and you know, we're in this grand experiment of every state kind of passing their own legislation and developing their own regulatory systems and markets and really economies, microeconomies around cannabis. Compare New Jersey with what you've seen with some of the other states and, you know, where does it stand on some of these scales? What it's What is it doing well? What is it not doing so well? Give us some context relative to that. Sure. And and I think that, you know, I, I like how you said done is better than perfect. Yeah. You know, I work closely with Hugh O'Byrne who's the president of the, the NJCIA. And he said to me again and again and again, as we were working on this policy, he said, we can't make the perfect the enemy of the good. Yeah, right? exactly. So that really is, is a guiding principle throughout all of this. So mm-hmm. what New Jersey has needed really is better, gosh, just, just sophistication, a, a level of sophistication mm-hmm. that has not existed to date. And we are getting there. So we're bringing on more operators. We're also seeing the, a change, a shift in the market for the first time we've had applications to to distribute permits other than vertically integrated permits. So I, I think yeah. your listeners are probably familiar yeah. with vertical integration, right, that you have cultivation, processing, and retailing all under the same license. So now, for the first time, we're going into more of a wholesale market. We're, we're going to, to be going in a direction that should allow for more robust wholesaling um, and also a greater diversity of products. So in this last round, you could apply for a cultivation-only license or a dispensary-only license, as well as the vertically integrated licenses. And there were 100 
198 applications that were submitted to the Department of Health, and the mm-hmm. large majority of those were for standalone dispensaries. And then the remaining were you know, split up fairly evenly between the, the vertically integrated and then the standalone cultivators. So that will really shift the development of the market, right? And we'll start to see processed products more than we have uh, yeah. in, in New Jersey, right? Because there will be more competition. There's a, there's a greater demand for those sort of things, and yep. they haven't existed in New Jersey. We'll also see the development of actual testing regulations, well, more robust testing regulations. Right now, all of the cannabis is tested through one state lab in New Jersey. And yeah. uh, you know, you know, people, I'm sure your listeners are following what has happened in California as those testing regulations you know, were shored up. That really had a major impact on a lot yeah. of the operators. So people, you know, who are already operating according to GMP standards or, you know, who have some sense of you know, the FDA maybe really breathing down our backs at some point yep. uh, won't be disrupted by you know, the implementation of, of more robust regulations around around testing. Yep. So I think we're, you know, on the cusp of seeing a really, really great changes for patients, more access, better products and lower prices. Yeah, yeah. And so let's talk about, I mean, you mentioned the FDA here. So let's talk a little bit about some of the national dynamics that are playing out. How, I guess, how do you see it from a state level kind of policy and industry development point of view? How is this kind of uncertainty of what's happening at the federal level with both kind of the, the you know, classification as well as the regulation of cannabis products? How are these things impacting the development of the industry, either in terms of driving in different directions or holding it back in different ways. I mean, what's what's your what have you observed in terms of how people are treating this and, and what do you see as being the big issues nationally or were from a federal point of view that are that are playing out for us? Sure. So the you know, there was an audible gasp when uh, former Attorney General Jeff Sessions revoked the the coal memo, right, which had provided some protection for cannabis businesses that were operating accord in, in compliance with state laws. Yeah. And he revoked that. Well we have a new attorney general now, thankfully, uh-huh. and the House passed the Blumenauer-McClintock-Norton Amendment. I don't remember exactly when that was, but the Senate will vote on it after the August uh, summer recess. Uh-huh. And the, that basically puts those protections back in place uh, for the legal cannabis industry state by state to protect from, from DOJ action. So yep. so that is necessary. And I do believe that that's a, you know, a fairly easy get and that mm-hmm. we'll see that soon. This Congress has been described as the most marijuana-friendly Congress in history. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm optimistic. I'm quite optimistic. Yeah. And we have seen when you asked what are the, the big issues, banking is a huge one. Yeah. And that's where we will see the first changes on a federal level, in addition to the Blumenauer situation um, yeah. with the protection from DOJ action. But we'll see, I believe, you know, the, the Safe Banking Act has some traction. Mm-hmm. And there is buy-in, you know, from both the House and the Senate. Um, there was a public hearing in the Senate on July 23rd, and Senator Cory Gardner from Colorado said that he was confident of, you know, having enough support in the Senate for that. So what would happen if the Safe Banking Act were to be passed, it would protect banks and insurers that serve the industry, right? But then it would also protect the U.S. stock exchanges. So there would be the opportunity to list, list U.S. cannabis yeah. companies. Yeah, yeah, which is, you know, that that's huge. Yeah. Um, it, it And that, of course, you know, is for, it's a big business plus, yeah. but open Opening up the banking restrictions around this also is friendly towards some of the, the smaller businesses, right, who don't have access to capital right now, who can't, yeah. you know, obtain a, a business loan to try to start their, you know, mom and pop shop uh, or, or whatever it is, mom and pop pot shop. Um, <laughs> so, 
So it will be comprehensively good for the industry, but it does hammer home the importance of making sure that there are, you know, some social equity provisions in the legislation that's developed both on the state level and in the national level. And so there are other initiatives, you know, we, we have heard of um, Senator Cory Booker's yep. Marijuana Justice Act, right? And that type of legislation really is saying, you know, let's let's remember here the, the origins of this prohibition and how many, how the harms of prohibition have been disproportionately yeah. impactful, you know, on certain communities. And that is really central to the conversation in New Jersey, but also needs to be carried through at the federal level. Yeah. Yeah. And how, and from the FDA point of view, so that's the banking side. I mean, where are mm -hmm. we in terms of the regulatory side? I mean, I know that, you know, right, right now it's still, you know, class one, if, if this thing gets reclassified, or what are the potential options for the FDA and how does that impact how you see the industry developing? Sure. So in 1961, I guess it was, there's the, the UN Single Convention on, on Narcotic Drugs. Uh -huh. That was really, the driving force for that was the United States to get that in place. And that really impacts international law, you know, as, yeah. as cannabis is considered. So in that in that context, you know, cannabis is on the strictest of the control schedules. It's a yeah. Schedule One yeah. substance, and you know, with the exception of if you made Epidiolex and you are GW Pharmaceuticals, yeah. then, then yeah. there is you know that little exception. But uh, and so that the FDA has had some involvement with that specifically with Epidiolex. We do hope that there will be some modification of that single convention mm -hmm. that will you know whether it will deschedule or reschedule or yeah. there'll be some sort of interse modification. You know, we would hope to see. Some some movement here. And although, you know, I'm talking internationally at this point, but yeah. that I do believe really dialogues very specifically with the FDA and with our federal law. Yeah. So, so it is important. Now, FDA, we're going to see first become more heavily involved in regulating CBD. So, you know, the, the federal the, the hemp bill, the farm bill, was passed with the allowance now to be able to legally grow industrial hemp, which has yep. less than 0.3% THC. Mm -hmm. And Mitch McConnell, Senator Mitch McConnell from Kentucky, where hemp grows wild and free, yeah. um, you know, was, was a big driver behind this. Now, the FDA has not yet developed the regulations for the regulation yeah. of CBD. And there's a bit of a political game there, too, right? So these, you can see how you know, getting those regulations in place would really allow the industry industry to flourish, it's compliant, robust sure. operators to really flourish. Yeah. But that can sort of be held hostage for or, you know, can be used as a political bargaining tool for for other things to happen if, if it needs to be. But you know, there's the FDA. There's also the DEA. Right. So mm -hmm. the DEA, I believe it's something like 80 percent or more of their activity is focused on cannabis, is focused on marijuana. Yeah. So if we legalize the, the agency, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't think they have a really motivating factor. Yeah, to put exactly. They're going to cut 80 percent right? of their budget. Yeah. <laughs> right. So they're going to have to shift gears, you know pretty dramatically. Yeah. And we'll see where that goes. I mean, we also have Canada right now has legalized yep. to the north of us. Mexico yep. is their Senate will be formalizing things, we believe, this fall. Yep. So, you know, even my seven-year-old understands North America. We're right yeah. in the middle, you know. Yeah. And uh, and so I, I see some things, you know, may be happening in, in the international context because of those, yeah. because of those developments. But yeah, there's government agencies, FDA, DEA, right? All of these things. There's legislators, there's executives executive leadership, you know, at the presidential level. And there is, of course, Supreme Court, you know, that could yeah, get involved. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of moving pieces and a lot of influential parts. And we didn't even 
talk about the lobbyists from places like pharma <laughs> and alcohol and uh, tobacco. Well, that's it. Yeah. I mean, I, I keep running into that one. I mean, I mean, the, the kind of the general perception is that pharma is sitting on the sidelines or waiting on the sidelines to jump into this as soon as soon as the legal stuff kind of plays out. Is that I mean, given given New Jersey here is, you know, one of one of the bigger pharmaceutical industry, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, hotbeds. I mean, what, what do you what's your kind of take on how pharmaceuticals are, are positioning themselves and what do you think they're going to do and when are they going to do it? Sure, sure. Well, <laughs> um, that's a bajillion dollar question. Right? <laughs> um, the, the, um, on the state level, I, I mentioned that I really have tremendous respect for the regulators in the Department of Health and yeah. conversations that I've had with them are, you know, we're sitting here and we're saying, my goodness, we have the pharmaceutical infrastructure that we have in this state. You know, it's been called the medicine chest of the country yeah. and in the highly capitalized healthcare system and the intellectual capital that we have here in academia, you know, our scientists, our researchers, we should be really involved in cannabis and cannabis research. So there are a number of initiatives. The Department of Health, in conjunction with Rutgers University, will on October 7th be hosting what I know to be the only uh, cannabis conference that's sponsored by a government agency and a, and a state a state university that is focused on the science, medicine, and research related to cannabis. Um, in the bill that was passed on July 2nd, there's a new type of license, the clinical registrant license that encourages or requires rather partnership between an industry operator and an academic medical center in New Jersey. So that would be, you know, really trying to encourage some of this research. So that's what I see happening on the New Jersey level. But from an industry perspective or from a business perspective as the pharmaceutical industries, I wouldn't say that they are sitting on the sidelines. What I would say is they're setting up shop in Canada, Johnson and Johnson, looking at you um, and doing, you know, R&D and getting things in place or Israel. Right. And and they're getting these things in place. And then they are going to use their lobbies to make sure that the laws are in line at the exact right time for them to make their business moves. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting kind of dynamic between the policy and the industry, you know, kind of figuring out how to position themselves to to get this thing right. And then obviously the legislation to kind of uh, make it happen. Yeah. This has been great. Uh, we're going to hit time here. Susanna, anything in terms of getting more information, if people want to contact you, want to find more, uh, learn more about NJCIA, what's the best way to get that information and get a hold of you? Sure. Yeah. The only thing I don't feel like we got to talk about too much are really sort of the, some of the social justice or social equity provisions yeah. and that I'm happy to take offline. I really am you know, interested in talking to people about that. So I can be reached um, yeah. at, a, at, uh, at, well, first of all, for more information about the NJCIA, please go to www.NewJerseyCIA. IA.org. And my email address that I can be reached at is S, like Susanna, S short, like not tall, S, S H O R T, at NewJerseyCIA.org. So if you want to connect with me there, I'm happy to figure out ways to collaborate and, uh, you know, maybe help to advance your business goals or to advocate generally for the best context for legal access to cannabis in New Jersey and beyond. Yeah, excellent. Uh, I'll make sure that those uh, links and email on the show notes here. Uh, this has been a pleasure. We can schedule another episode to keep going on this because there's more we can, we can do on basically everything we've talked about. But uh, this was really helpful. It was a pleasure. Um, I think uh, really valuable for everyone listening. I appreciate the time. Likewise. Thanks so much, Bruce. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, Download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.